This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. How much do you know about methane? Is it on your radar? Is it something that you think about? Is it something you talk about with your friends? Friends, is it, it, it probably not right? Uh, I think that that's probably what's being acknowledged as we take a look at the uh, most recent. This is the summer issue of Alberta Views magazine, and and the piece written by Jeff Galis, who we're going to be talking about in just a sec. Hidden harm reads the headline: While Alberta's methane reduction claims can't be trusted, you may have noticed this week on the show we're we're. Focusing, we're, we're putting a keen eye on, on Canada's energy industry. We talked about it with uh, Liberal Minister Randy Bosno on Monday. We talked about it with Conservative MP Mike Lake on Tuesday. Yesterday's broadcast on Wednesday, it was Canada's Minister of Environment and Climate Change, Stephen Gilbo, that joined us. Uh, a shout out to the Calgary Herald and Chris Varco this morning for referencing our interview with the Environment Minister in, in Varco's piece published this morning. Uh, says, well, it doesn't sound like a lot of tangible progress was made. It's encouraging that the various sides are actually talking. We're talking about government conversations between the, the provincial and federal counterparts. Uh, Minister Gilbo joining us yesterday, just hours before his meeting with Alberta's Minister of Environment. That's Rebecca Schultz, of course. And we were curious to know where the federal minister landed on S&P numbers. These are the ones that everybody's talking about about this week that show that uh, Alberta's oil sands is going to have to dial back production by more than a million barrels a day, 1.3 million barrels a day to meet these new targets, the net zero targets. They want to get Canada, the federal government does, to a net zero electricity grid within the next few years. And this report, which was released on Monday, suggests that this could mean nine or 10,000 jobs lost. No, that's no small thing. And so we asked the minister if this was on his radar. We wanted to know how he felt about some of the political posturing that was happening, in particular from the two prairie premiers. I'm talking about Scott Moe and Danielle Smith. Smith calling the federal government's plan unconstitutional. Moe asserting that, well, basically Ottawa wants to kill the energy sector, the oil and gas sector. As, as a matter of fact, Johnny, why don't we tee up? This was a, 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 a brief exchange. This was a snippet. If you missed our conversation on Wednesday with the federal environment minister, we put Saskatchewan Premier Moe's comments in front of him. And, and, and here's what he had to say about those numbers from Premier Scott Moe. If it wasn't clear before it is now, quote, the Trudeau government doesn't want to just reduce emissions in our energy sector. They want to completely shut down our energy sector. Uh, some people are saying that this could mean up to nine, even 10,000 job losses in the oil sands. What's your message to people that are going to see this interview that feel like their livelihood could evaporate here? It fascinates me that, that people would, co would come to those conclusions without even knowing what the target is. I, we're, we're still working on, on, on the regulation. I don't even know what the target is. We said that we would cap emissions at current level and that they would go down over time. We, we haven't even decided what the, tra the trajectory would be uh, by 2030, 2035, 2040. So for, for, for organizations like S&P and, and others to, to make those bold claims without having any of the details 
um, I, I, I find it quite rich. Quite rich, uh, says the environment minister. Now, what this reiterated to me, uh, and maybe to you as well, is, is it seems like not everybody knows exactly what they're talking about. There's not exactly a fulsome understanding of what's happening in the sector, what emissions actually look like, how we're going to get to that position where Canada can declare itself to be adequately meeting, to be answering those commitments on those targets and what the implications might be. And so that's why this show, why we're sinking our teeth into this conversation, into this debate. In just a second, uh, journalist Jeff Galis, I almost guarantee, is going to blow your mind with talk about a satellite monitoring system. We're going to get an idea of, of how the world is keeping an eye on emissions, like methane, but maybe why those numbers aren't being presented either in good faith or in the public eye or in, I guess you might say, meaningful fashion. Why is it still deemed to be a hidden harm? That's coming up in just a second. I wanted to briefly let you know that in Canada right now, when we're talking about jobs, you know, certified financial planners, a lot of them are making a great living. As a matter of fact, a lot of them are are earning six figures right now, and, and the demand for this profession for CFPs is growing fast. You can become a certified financial planner with Business Career College. You can launch your own business, earn great money, and help others achieve their financial goals. Business Career College is the best place to get your CFP with online courses, expert instructors to help you through, and decades of experience helping students succeed. You can get your journey started today by checking out businesscareercollege.com. Jeff Galis is the author of a feature piece in the July-August issue of Alberta Views magazine. It's Hidden Harm. And we're about to take a look at his deep dive into methane. Uh, Jeff is an award-winning writer and author of The Grizzly Manifesto and Little Black Lies, which expose corporate and political spin in the global war for oil. He's joining us live this morning from his home in Missoula, Montana, making his Real Talk debut. Jeff, it's nice to see you there. Nice to see you too, Ryan. Now, you know, we, we oftentimes ask folks if their Zoom background is real or fake, Yours feels very real, and it, it seems to me like it's styled by someone who gets what makes you tick. For, for the majority of people that are going to hear this on the podcast, you are surrounded by stacks of books. Uh, tell us about your library there. Tell us about what we're seeing behind you. Oh, that, there's a whole, uh, whole bunch of books about everything from literary theory to uh, uh, the research around um, uh tailings ponds and uh what's what's in them um i'm a i'm a a big fan of books and uh doing research and that's pretty much why i got into journalism in the first place what is it about uh alberta and and canada's energy sector in particular oil and gas that that has so captured your attention uh, prompting you to to write so much and, and pay so much attention to it well i i grew up in alberta uh i live in missoula montana right now but i grew up in alberta and uh i actually didn't know that much about uh oil and gas or politics until uh i moved to uh uh europe uh budapest uh hungary in fact and started working for 
an environmental organization, not an advocacy organization, but an organization called the Regional Environmental Center that was set up by the Canadian government, the American government, and the Japanese government to help um, uh, Central and Eastern Europe come come to terms with some of the environmental problems that were the legacy of uh, the, the Soviet years. And um, I was introduced to uh, uh, lots of information on environmental issues and uh, attended a big conference in Sofia, Bulgaria, uh, where the uh, representatives of the Canadian and U.S. governments were. And it shocked me at that conference that Germany and the Dutch were very progressive on these issues and Canada and the U.S. was uh, pretty recalcitrant and stubborn and not particularly progressive, which, which uh, you know, concerned me and... Um, reminded me that the story I was told about Canada and Alberta in particular about uh, responsibly managing uh, natural resources and so on uh, maybe wasn't as true or as uh, fulsome as uh, I was told. Uh, your, your piece is, is evergreen, so to speak. Uh, you know, we're, we're talking about methane and, and monitoring, satellite monitoring, and, and we'll get into it in just a second. I mean, it's really fascinating stuff. Uh, but, but I wanted to ask you first about what's happening right now, kind of the, the timeliness of what's happening. You know, we spoke yesterday with uh, Canada's environment minister, the federal environment minister, yeah. just before he's talking to Alberta's environment minister. We've heard the liberal and conservative talking points, I guess a cynic might describe them as this week. And of course, it is a, a big week. You've got the, the, the federal cabinet ministers doing their cross-country tours. A lot of them are in Alberta right now. And it means that the attention, the focus has been ramped up on this relationship, on Ottawa working to achieve its goals, to meet its commitments uh, when it comes to going net zero, when it comes to reducing emissions, when it comes to, I, I, I suppose, what you might describe as, as, as being a, a legitimate global player uh, in the fight to respond to climate change. And then you've got Alberta politicians that are fighting fighting for industry, fighting for oil and gas revenues, obviously fighting for jobs and quite frankly, fighting to to stay in office, to, to, to maintain that political support that they have. The United Conservatives in particular, having recently won that election. What are you keeping an eye on when it comes to, to the, the, the discussions that are happening, when it comes to the public uh, barbs that are being tossed back and forth? Uh, maybe progress being made. We don't know behind the scenes in conversations. Uh, Minister Gabo sounded somewhat optimistic yesterday in his conversation with us what's jumping out at you uh in the context of what you're paying attention to and seeing in the news cycle right now well it seems like premier mo and premier smith have adopted a rhetorical strategy similar to what uh, we experience here in the united states which is just rage farming um, and creating uh, partisan conflict about uh, a variety of issues. And in this case, um, it's uh, Alberta's uh, right to um, uh, utilize its natural resources as it sees fit and the federal government's uh, constitutional right to, as the Supreme Court has already uh, established to uh, regulate carbon so that uh, we can do our fair share in um, the fight against climate change. And it, I uh, concur with uh, Mr. Gabo in that it seems a bit rich 
that uh, they, Moe and Smith, are uh, claiming that Gabo wants to shut down the oil sands. And uh, I, I think it, he's far from that and is trying to balance the needs of Alberta and Saskatchewan's uh, uh, economic future and our obligations um, to uh, reduce carbon emissions. And it's especially poignant right now, given that the world is in many places is uh, dealing with uh, excessive heat, um, dangerous levels of excessive heat. Yeah, it, it it's sort of like, and I guess maybe this is just the way that we as humans are wired. It sometimes requires uh, for us to pay full attention to something or to take something seriously uh, for factors around us to start impacting us personally. It's not necessarily a positive character trait, uh, but but sometimes I think people can hear a lot of numbers. They can hear facts or ideas or theories. They can hear warnings. You know, don't look up. Right. How about that film last yeah. year that captured everybody's attention? But until it impacts us directly and personally, people don't really care. Right. I mean, quite frankly, I don't mean to sound like a cynic. Do you disagree? No, I don't disagree. I, I think that uh, I mean, let let's put this in some uh rele relevant historical context i mean kyoto was 30 years ago and uh we haven't done very much uh except uh meet and talk and uh commit to targets that we never meet and uh and, and a big part of that is just politics the nature of politics and um in in the you know american and canadian democracies um I think it's fair to say that uh, until the effects of climate change uh, start to affect many of us uh, personally, that our attention uh, will uh, waver uh, and be more interested in other things. Tell us about methane. The average person, sure. I think, generally speaking, knows what methane is ish. Uh, we understand that it, it is a, a factor at play uh, in, when it comes to emissions from the oil and gas industry. We understand that uh, when cows fart, they release methane into the environment and, and, and the uh -huh. agriculture industry is, is a, a significant contributor to methane emissions in Canada. As our land fills, as, as you write about it, what's the big deal with methane? Well, <clears throat> methane is uh, the simplest hyd hydrocarbon and has been used. Uh, humans have been using it to uh, initially uh, light the streets in London in the late 18th century, and uh, we now use it for, primarily for heat um, and also some petrochemical um, um, uses. Uh, we we use it mainly for heat, and uh, it's it's primarily made of methane. Um, the oil and gas industry branded it as natural gas. Uh, to make it sound uh, benign, it's I think a better uh, name for it would be methane gas because it's primarily made of methane. And uh, methane is um, uh, a gas that's even more potent than carbon dioxide uh, in in its uh, ability to absorb heat. So um, it's eighty times more. Um, potent than carbon dioxide in the short term. Uh, 
I think the upside is the other way to look at it is that um, we have an opportunity of to um, curb carbon emissions in the short term by uh, capturing leaked methane. Um, and it shouldn't uh, really cost uh, much because the captured methane can then be sold as is the rest of the natural gas that makes it down to the end of the pipe. So it should be a win-win-win situation for everyone. Uh, you assert in your in your feature in Alberta Views that Alberta's methane reduction claims can't be trusted, uh, which is something I know that's, that's grabbing a lot of people's attention. Before we get into your argument for that, why don't we talk about this GHG sat? Why don't we talk about the technology that's used to monitor uh, methane emissions, other emissions uh, for that matter as well? Can, can you bring us up to speed and explain to us how this, this satellite works, so it has kind of a casual yeah. name about it? Yeah, so I mean that was that was the thing that got me interested in um, in in the methane story in the first place when I discovered that uh, there were companies and and governments um, around the world that were developing this technology uh, to send very small satellites about the size of a shoebox uh, up or a microwave oven I think is is the better analogy um, up. It, in, into space and they use sensors to me measure uh, me methane emissions and plumes in real time. And uh, it's, it's not just sort of in general, but they could actually um, focus down to uh, be able to identify exactly which facility is emitting methane. And that gives us a tool to um, figure out where where the emissions are coming from and then uh, uh, close off those leaks so that uh, you know the product can be um, sold and not leaked into the atmosphere so the satellite is called Claire right well there's a there's a variety of the there's a variety of um, the European Space Agency has their own uh, satellites um, and uh, there's a Montreal-based company is, is GHGSAT, which is what I mentioned in the article. And um, they have developed some of the most sophisticated technology and sensors and um, has been funded by the federal government um, and uh, uh, the oil sands industry and the Alberta government has been a partner with them. And so it's a fascinating technology that we should be able to use to identify where the methane is coming from and stop it from uh, wafting into the atmosphere. So is it doing its job? Uh, is, is it benefiting our understanding uh, and ultimately our, our, our move uh, to reduce methane emissions right now? Is the technology being leveraged in the way that it should? Well, tools are only as good as uh, the people that use them. And, uh, Unfortunately, it doesn't appear that the Alberta government um, is using uh, the more sophisticated satellite-based tools uh, to, to um, observe and uh, cap leaks. Uh, and I'm not sure why that is. Uh, I couldn't get the president and CEO of uh, GHD Sat to get back to me, nor would 
the Alberta energy regulator, any of the politicians or bureaucrats uh, respond, respond to me. Why do you think that is? You know, it's, it's just part and parcel of being a journalist in, in Alberta for the last 10 years, uh, pro- probably more. Well, since Ralph Klein was premier, there's uh, been this obsession with controlling information. Um, and uh, when people, uh, especially journalists, ask pertinent questions, important questions, uh, oftentimes nobody wants to talk about it. Uh, the great thing about the internet is that there's always plenty of information to be found. And, um, and uh, I was able to uncover uh, quite a bit of information about the use of these satellites, the way that the Alberta government uh, mo- um, uh, models methane emissions in um, Alberta now, and the, the fundamental gap uh, between the accuracy of the current methods and the actual amount of methane that's being um, emitted. Uh, 2025, like two years from now, or I guess a year and a half from now, you might say, uh, is a significant year, right? It's a significant yeah. target. This is when uh, Alberta, I guess, will be able to evaluate whether or not Alberta has been successful. Uh, if, if you can trust the numbers, I suppose, which is a point I bet you'll make. Uh, mm-hmm. But Alberta is, is uh, committed to reducing uh, methane emissions almost by half, right? By 45% by 2025. How do you approach that? Do you, are, are you, um, uh, do, I, I would imagine you strike me as someone who has a healthy cynicism that drives your investigative journalism. But, but yeah. do you think, uh, number one, that Alberta is on track, as the government claims, through its, its uh, Department of uh, Environment and Parks? And, and number two, uh, do you think that the numbers can be trusted? So is the province on track? And uh, if so, do you believe that the numbers can be trusted? I highly doubt that the um, numbers can be trusted. And uh, it's unclear whether that's a result of uh, bad faith uh, politics on the part of the United Conservatives or whether it's uh, a result of um, simply not adopting the best technology and relying on ineffectual uh, monitoring efforts. I mean, we've seen this before in Alberta. If you'll remember um, way back when the regional, uh, the ramp um, monitoring project in the oil sands was taken to task um, in, in the media, uh, largely led by the work of uh, David Schindler. And uh, it, that monitoring, uh, air and water monitoring uh, system uh, was found to be wholly inadequate. And um, I think what we're, we're seeing here is uh, a, a government that isn't really all that interested in um, knowing the true amount of methane coming out and so um devises these uh processes that are defensible um in some regards but not they don't they're not going out of their way to make sure that their accuracy is uh impeccable um they they'd rather have low numbers and a uh a trend that shows that their policy objectives are um, 
that their their policies are are working towards their objectives. It's it's highly highly unlikely that that's the case. Um, people that are watching this on YouTube are going to get some insight into how I read magazines. You can see I, I, I circle and outline and underline, and I, I just go through, and it just sort of helps me wrap my mind around what I'm reading. Um, I circled here and, and put an asterisk by, by, by your assertion or your, your observation, let me say here, that a 2020 study, a study from three years ago, found that, that methane emissions in Alberta and Saskatchewan, you say, are nearly twice uh, what's being reported. Uh, I guess there are words for that, if true, uh, yeah. that, that would be like cover up, uh, yeah. dishonesty, fraud. I mean, there are, there are words that would describe releasing numbers that are not accurate on a file as significant as this. C can you take us into this? Sure. So anybody um, with a computer can go and find a, a, a multitude of scientific studies uh, peer reviewed uh, by uh, professional researchers that, that have um, measured methane using other methodologies. So the Albert, Alberta government uses a methodology where they, they go to natural gas uh, processing facilities and pipelines. They take some measurements um, with tools about how much this kind of compressor leaks, how much this kind of joint leaks or valve, and then they count up the number of those compressors and valves and uh, multiply it by the leakage rates that they um, found in their on the ground studies. There's other, it, it, you know, there's other, other ways to do that too. They go out with trucks and they have, uh, monitoring systems that monitors the methane in the air um, on the ground. And then, and then they create these mathematical models based on these, um, these uh, observations on the ground, and they come up with estimates. And uh, 30 years ago, uh, that was the best we could do. Today, we have many more sophisticated ways to measure methane. Um, these scientific um, projects have used satellites. They've used um, uh, airplanes fitted with sensors, and um, they have found. And this is not just in Alberta. This is worldwide. They have they have found that methane emissions are between um, twice and four times as high as what. Um, the ground-based estimates have been and um so and that's over the last five to ten years um it, i mentioned th uh, three or four studies that indicate that uh that uh, methane emissions in uh, the oil and gas industry in alberta and to and all next door uh in saskatchewan are somewhere between two and four times what the Alberta and Saskatchewan governments are um, telling us there are. And if you read the <clears throat> federal um, um, documents uh, that uh, catalog Canada's greenhouse gas emissions, they at least have the temerity to list that, that these are uh, possibly not accurate because of all the research that's been done on methane emissions so at least they acknowledge that the, the the that they're using the best data that's available 
but that there's enough evidence to suggest that uh, we need better methodologies to measure the um, amount of methane being leaked. And the problem with this is because, as I mentioned earlier, methane is such a much more potent um, greenhouse gas that, especially in the short term, that we're we're never going to meet our uh, greenhouse gas targets if we keep leaking all this methane in the atmosphere. And so it's job one and uh, lots of other scholars, people at the Pembina Institute in Alberta, uh, believe that dealing with methane in, in the short term is both cost effective and um, and uh, urgent in terms of uh, reducing our carbon emissions. I, I, I sometimes wonder, is, is a question too simple? So this this is what my brain is asking me here. But like, why don't you think that it's a priority? If you can, if you can tick all of the boxes, if you can say that uh, it could be prof, or at least let's say uh, not uh, cost hindering. In other words, if it wouldn't come at an enormous expense to Alberta's economy, uh, if it wouldn't mean thousands of, of layoffs, and, and you got to think of uh, some of these, uh, obviously, rightfully so, factor into decisions that politicians sure, sure, or industry leaders make. Obviously, but if the boxes are ticked, there, if you can make the cost argument, if you can also establish that this would be a good fit move, that this would be a feather in Alberta and Saskatchewan's cap, that this would be great for the province or the industry's reputation on a national and global scale. Why do you think it's not being taken seriously? Is it too simple of a question? Well, I've been asking myself about these kinds of uh, these, that question about all kinds of issues in Alberta, you know, and I, I don't really know if I had to guess the narrative that Alberta is already meeting its um, uh, methane reduction goals uh, would be a, a good news story and the government wouldn't have to do anything about it and industry would uh, be off the hook to do the work that's necessary to reduce methane leaks. Um, it beggars the imagination as to why um, we we wouldn't um, want to uh, fix the problem, given that given that it is uh, at least half of the cost of fixing the problem would be recouped by selling the methane that's leaking into the atmosphere at this point. Um, so you know, I'm just uh, at a loss, really. For, for words or understanding about why we're not uh, p picking the low-hanging fruit here. Yeah, low-hanging fruit. Uh, we're talking to Jeff Galis in, in just a second. We're talking to Alberta and Saskatchewan. I, I want to ask you about the border city, about Lloyd Minster, something that happened there a while ago that um, Canadian technology, uh, Canadian, um, I mean, overseeing bodies, the Alberta Energy Regulator, wasn't on anybody's radar until uh, a French outfit put it there. Yeah. I want to get you to tell us that story, Jeff, in just a second. These conversations okay. don't happen without Real Talk sponsors. And and one of those that we're really proud to support, of course, is the YWCA of Edmonton. And we were all really excited when we heard that the YWCA of Edmonton uh, was named as the charity of choice for this year's K-Days 50-50. So this is obviously a huge opportunity for everybody at the YWCA. And, um, well, quite frankly, they need your help. 
And so we're asking you to join their volunteer team on the K-Days grounds. If you've got some spare time, if you love the work that the Y does, if maybe you'd like to just get out and about, you love meeting new people, uh, we're looking for volunteers on the grounds of K-Days between July 21st and 30th. So this is coming up uh, to help spread the word about that 50-50. Now, there's a whole bunch of benefits uh, that include free entry to the grounds, free transportation on ETS, and a $10 food voucher. But of course, also, you're being part of the movement for change. Uh, you can register as a volunteer at ywcofedmonton.org, and we're just going to go ahead and put that link into the show notes on YouTube and on the podcast so we can make it nice and simple. We'd love to hear from you. If you are going to be volunteering for the YWC of Edmonton, let us know. Hit us up on Instagram or with a tweet, and we'd be happy to share that story. Uh, love that organization and everything they're doing. We mentioned the live streaming audio app Mixler. That's how a lot of you listen to Real Talk on the go. That's proudly presented by our friends at California closets. Uh, They are the masters of custom closets, storage solutions for the entire home. Uh, You can make the most of your space with their custom organizational systems. Nobody does it like the team at California Closets. We speak with personal experience. Coming up on about 10 years ago, my wife Carrie and I reached out to them. We sat down with their design team. Reese is one of the talented professionals there. And we said, here's our budget. Here's what we're looking to do. And the finished product, absolutely Absolutely masterful. Well, of course, they've been doing primary bedrooms and they've been doing entertainment centers and living spaces, but they're really getting big into the garage game. So if you'd like the, the workhorse of your home, the garage, to start working better for you, if you'd like to get the bikes up on a rack, you get those extension cords put away, maybe have your socket set somewhere that you're actually be able to find it. You, you want to be able to find your hockey gloves and the ice scraper. And, and where is that jug of coolant that you had for the car why not trust a garage storage system to the talented team at california closets nobody does it better and the consultation's free you'll find them online at californiaclosets.ca you know that friesen brothers is proudly alberta grown and alberta owned right still family owned after more than 65 years of of operations and boy are they ever proud community members in the 16 different jurisdictions where you'll find a Friesen Brothers. They want us to let you know that on July 22nd, they've got Watermelon Fest coming up. That's this coming Saturday. The event's going to feature various activities like the Watermelon Eating Contest. Uh, Johnny's going to be there. I can't wait to watch him in action. Your chance (laughs) to win a Watermelon Prize Box uh, containing Friesen Brothers gift cards, all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, Free balloons and crowns for the kids. A lot of summer fun. And uh, there's also a vegan feast coming up at Friesen Brothers. You can find them online. All those details at Friesen.com. That's F-R-E-S-O-N.com. Have you thought of your strategy yet for the watermelon eating contest? Are you going to go ahead and just... I don't even know if you have to chew it. You I don't. Think, no, you just bite it off and hammer it back, and, and you, there you go. You quickly blend it in your mouth. Yes, yes. Oh, <laughs> very well said. <laughs> the Joey Chestnut of watermelon. It's our very own John Hicks. Hey, I've been watching over the last few days the team at Eden Landscaping at work in our backyard. We are telling you that we, we hired them. I guess the conversation started about six months ago. They started looking through our, our ideas, our plans, the photos that we'd pulled, and basically, after talking about them so much, I said, well, we want you to bring our outdoors space to life. We've got a backyard that obviously has two big dogs, right? We've got two young boys as well, and uh, we need our yard to be functional, but we also want it to look really good, and uh, we're on a budget. 
And so it's been amazing to see that team put a plan together that we're all really excited about. Uh, it's been a, an absolute pleasure dealing with them because they understand uh, what it means for, for a family to bring to the table everything that they have, but also, of course, to hand the project over to the professionals. Sometimes, if you're like me, you have a hard time handing things off to somebody else. Well, with the custom landscaping services that Eden Landscaping provides, you quickly realize that you can be confident putting your dream space, your biggest investment, your home, into their capable hands. It's full project management that comes with part of the deal with Eden Landscaping. If you're going to be bringing an outdoor space to life in the next, I don't know, three to 12 months, why not take five minutes today and check out landscapeedmonton.ca? You know, Jeff and I were talking about landfills. This is part of the conversation around methane. I'd be remiss if I didn't remind you that when it comes to garbage and recycling, if you're a decision maker for a big or a small business, maybe for a municipality, and you want to be dealing with a company that you can trust, you want to be dealing with a company when uh, where a real-life human picks up the phone and you give them a call, may we recommend local environmental services? Uh, you know, they're operating in uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan. Uh, based out of Edmonton, Whitecourt, Regina, and they're doing things a little bit different. You know, as their website says, some people may say it's only garbage, but not to local environmental services. They believe that communities deserve better. If you want to see what that means, who is local, you can check them out online at localenvironmental.ca. Chances are, after a free quote from them, you're going to realize you'll be paying less when you take your business to local environmental services. Jeff Galis, our guest this morning, he's got a feature piece, an excellent one at that, in the July-August issue of Alberta Views magazine, Hidden Harm, Why Alberta's Claims on Methane Reduction Can't Be Trusted. We're getting into it today with the author, who's joining us live from his home in Missoula, Montana. Let's talk about this story that happened near Lloyd Minster, a, a, a big plume, a big flare-up. Can you tell us what happened and, and why you think it wasn't on the radar of any governing body or oversight in Alberta until someone from France chimed in and yeah, put it on France. the radar? Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing with satellites. It doesn't matter where you're based. Yeah. You could be based at the North Pole or the South Pole. As long as you got a computer and some software that's hooked up to the satellite, you can uh, get the data and download it and see often in real time uh, what um, is going on in terms of methane emissions. Um, so what, what, what basically happened is uh, a French company using the European Space Agency's data um uh, discovered that uh and they were using the fine scale real-time data uh that there was a huge methane leak in in lloyd minster uh on the saskatchewan border and uh, uh they kindly let the alberta government government know and uh the alberta government and the uh, alberta energy regular regulator uh had no idea and the irony is that the Al alberta energy regulator subscribes to the same uh uh data uh what's the word uh the, the same um data that the french company was using uh but they <laughs> chose to get the cheaper uh version that averages uh methane emissions out over time so you don't get these point source um leaks which which is a major part of the problem 
I mean, there's persistent leaks, of course, which generally are smaller and continuous, but every now and then you get a blowout somewhere, and um, that's what happened at Lloyd Minster, and the Alberta government had no idea, nor did industry. I mean, whose responsibility is it? Um, it would be nice if the government made the industry's responsibility, but uh, they're loath to do that. Uh, they seem uh, to be uh, ideal ideologically predisposed to not want to regulate the oil and gas industry very well. We've talked a lot about Alberta's energy regulator in, in the past year on the show, and we've had a ton of different opinions and expert voices on it. Um, one of the I think one of the sort of the focal points or certainly one of the things that you and I referenced earlier, sometimes something has to happen to somebody or to a group of people before something is taken seriously. Uh, the environment minister uh, brought this up yesterday. He had seen our interview with uh, Chief Alan Adam from the Athabasca Chippewa First Nation. We're talking about that leak, that that toxic leak from the Curl yeah. facility, um, the uh, Imperial Oils facility um, in northern Alberta. This leak that had occurred for, it's estimated, uh, at a minimum of nine months and um, to, to, to think of, of uh, toxic and harmful chemicals seeping into land and water for nearly a year um, before anybody noticed or did anything about it kind of boggles the mind. You don't have to be a PNG or you don't have to have years of industry experience to understand why that's problematic. And a lot of people, rightfully so, have been asking the question, can Alberta's energy regulator be trusted? Is it, is it a competent body? I mean, you, you know, we're, we're seeing these staggering numbers when it comes to the the liabilities on uh, orphan wells i mean that's an, a, another uh, subject matter that i know that you've paid some attention to you write about it a little bit in your piece uh, in alberta views and, and i think more and more canadians are becoming concerned at, at what that liability might look like i mean we're talking you know a hundred plus billion dollars uh, depending on the numbers i've seen it as high as a quarter trillion uh, dollars well, what's what's your take uh, if i can ask you to speak candidly about alberta's energy regulator well, yes, the Alberta Energy Regulator s seems to not be doing its job very effectively. But I, I guess it, it a couple of things. It, one, it depends on what you think their job is. For many of us, it's uh, we we think that it should be uh, enforcing the r rules and regulations and laws to prevent um, the oil and gas industry or the coal industry or whatever from having undue environmental impacts um, and also social and uh, health impacts. Um, the other point I'd make is before it was the AER, it was something else. I can't remember uh, all the names of all the agencies that regulated the energy industry over the decades, but they weren't any better either. Um, and so this is just a tradition in Alberta where we give a, a pass to industry and if you talk to the sort of legal scholars around in, um, environmental uh, regulation uh, i think they would say i know they would say that um, the biggest problem is that there's so much discretion in our um, uh, regulatory system it's not um if 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 you it's not take the tailings ponds tailings ponds um were supposed to have been um decreasing in size and being reclaimed um over the last three decades none of that's ever happened and that's even though it's in their um permits 
and there's been plans for that to happen um it just doesn't happen because uh it's expensive uh we actually don't know how to do it um yet um so this techno techno optimism where technology will solve all problems in a timely way uh has uh fallen flat on its face and um it it takes time and energy away from say increasing production and uh so there there seems to be i mean some kind of ideological uh at base ideological uh, uh understanding that um regulations should be um to should not get in the way of maximizing uh production and profit maximization i mean that's 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 the only way thing i can think of as to why um, we so poorly manage the oil and gas and 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 coal in, industry as well, because um, there's no other logic that would would explain why it's happening. And I take I take journalism ethics seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, journalists are, and I I, I grew up uh, believing that you know it was my job to provide the facts and let people make up their mind. But it seems increasingly that um, it's helpful to have some analysis and and join the dots so that people don't just see a data point in the news every day, but they have some much greater context in which to situate that data point so they can have a better understanding of why things the way are the way they are. Yeah, it's just to me, and I know I'm not saying anything profound here, but it, but it, it's it's never lost on me that that if that, that something can be a very real issue that uh, impacts people. Like right now, what are we talking about? We're talking about industry. And we're talking about the environment, right? Generally yeah. speaking, this is the conversation that we're having. And, and it seems to me like that's 50% of the conversations that we have on this show. Uh, yeah, most especially well, when Alberta. wind up in the news. And it is Alberta, right? And, and, and it's something that impacts everybody. And who doesn't want to see everybody employed and earning good money? And who doesn't want to see people with bright employment futures? And who doesn't want to see all of that? Who doesn't want to see the tax revenue collected, for that matter, for, to, to help build healthy communities, et cetera, et cetera? But at what cost? Like, at the same time, who doesn't want to protect the planet? And I feel like, you know, with pieces like yours, the alarm is being sounded. But still, and this isn't a shot at you uh, or it's not a shot at me. Uh, Maybe it's just an indictment of all of us as human beings. If you were to walk down Stephen Avenue in Calgary or, or you were to walk, you know, I don't know, down, you know, Taylor Drive, you're talking to people in Red Deer or you're in Edmonton walking down White Avenue, ask the average person, how much do you know about methane or how much do you know about Alberta's targets or how much do you know about mm-hmm. the, the good, the bad and the ugly or how much do you understand about this? The average person has so much going on. Uh, they're they're going to go. What I know right now is my kids needs to be at soccer by five thirty tonight, and yep. this weekend we're going to mom's for dinner. And right, and and it's just yep. it it and, and you can like you know we've had guests on this show. I think of Mark Doran who's come on this show talking about orphan wells. I mean the guy's screaming it from the rooftops. The guy's you know metaphorically speaking, you know, sending off flares uh, trying to get people's attention. But still, it's like when you look at the general public, it 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 just seems like I hate to say it, but it. it it's almost like nobody cares. Do you get the same feeling? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many conversations I, I've had. The first one, let me tell you about the first time this this surprised me. I was uh, in, in Edmonton for a conference, 
And I was walking, I can't remember, I was walking back to the friend's house I was staying at. And it was, you know, midnight because we, we there was the the, the evening party uh, and dinner that we had. And uh, and I was walking back and there was a cigar shop that was open um, at, you know, midnight. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. I like I like a good cigar or I did then. I don't now. Um, so I, I pop in and sure enough, it's open. And there's a Korean Canadian guy there uh, who. Uh, asked me what I was doing out so late and uh, uh they had a little bar it's like at the counter with stools and I told him what what I liked in cigars he went and grabbed me one anyways we started chit-chatting about he's like why are you wandering the streets and what are you doing in Edmonton and I told him I was living in Canmore and I was a journalist and I was at this conference about environmental issues and he 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 pulled a bottle of whiskey up from the bottom of the counter and said, I want to talk about this. Nice. And so I, I had a conversation a little bit like we're having now, but I was far less informed then. I was mm. like naive. I was a naive young journalist. And he was shocked at the in environmental issues that I was telling him about. Um, and I'll never forget. He's like, isn't that what the government is supposed to do? Mm. And I said, yeah, you'd think. And, you know, that was back in, that was, that was back in the end, at the end of Ralph Klein's term, which seems, uh, you know, passably uh, uh, idealistic by the notions of what we're working with today uh, with Danielle Smith and, and her, as I call them, apparatchiks in the uh, government, um, especially with the methane issue. This is a win-win-win. It's not expensive. Industry can make some money on it. And um, the estimates of methane, um, you know, the honest, more um, uh, likely uh, estimates are that it's like four times, eight times, I say in the article, eight times more uh, mm -hmm. methane leakage than in the abandoned and orphaned uh, oil wells we have in the province. And uh, and uh, uh, Premier Smith wants to spend twenty billion dollars through the renamed R Star program to incentivize these oil companies to to fix their abandoned orf orphaned wells, uh, partly because of methane leakage. Whereas it would be relatively inexpensive to deal with the methane inch, uh, issue, um, and uh, um and uh reduce carbon emissions even more the, but that that would that would that would need the government to admit that their claims about meeting the methane reduction limits they would have to admit that that's not the case mm. and i think they're loath to do that well, it's you, just about uh, saving face. you drop a couple bombs uh, in your piece. I want to read. I always love reading someone's writing to them and watching them respond. But uh, you, you, you finish your piece in Alberta Views. Uh, methane is both invisible and perilous, you write, which makes it a potent symbol for the inscrutable logic of Alberta's increasingly out-of-touch conservative politicians until we free ourselves from leaders that exude such palpable duplicity and incompetence. Not a great review. We'll never know with any certainty, you write, whether our government is telling us the truth 
and looking after our best interests. You say history suggests this formula will only lead to the continued degradation of our land, water and air and to an even hotter climate. Uh, the reason I mention that is that someone that's going to be listening to this is going to say, well, what the hell can I do about this? What am uh-huh. I supposed to do about this? So what's the call to action? Starting with well, an email, I guess, to your MLA. Yeah, I mean, write to your MLA, go visit your MLA. I mean, the, the more personal and substantive your, your communication is, uh, the uh, the better it will be received. Um, and uh, you can also, you know, give money to groups like the Pemmet Institute or join groups depending on what your pro- proclivity uh, uh, is. And increasingly in Alberta, um, your vote is uh, is very important because uh, where we, for most of my lifetime, we were a one-party state, and we're almost a two-party state now, and so that makes your vote even more precious. Um, and w- one interesting thing you know, in this regard is that if you read the polling of Albertans, they overwhelmingly like by, you know, 60 to 80% want better environmental management, among other things. They recognize that we need to reduce our CO2 emissions and other kinds of pollution and, and so on. And, uh, but when they, when Albertans go to the polls, they, uh, they elect the conservatives and since Ralph Klein, so that's about 30 years, we've basically had more or less the same. I remember Ralph Klein um, on an interview just after he left uh, politics when asked about the oil sands and the negative in economic, because remember, there were negative economic um, um, consequences because of the rapidity with which we developed those resources and environmental um and environmental issues and and he was asked you know was what was this your plan and he said you know what we had no idea and uh we had no idea what the impacts of rapid oil sands development would be so uh vote wisely is 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 i think the the most important thing and uh you don't you don't write much about like sort of the political history in the piece so i might be putting you on the spot here but if you're going to say vote wisely the implication would be that you're talking about, I mean, I, I guess the way that I would like to interpret your comment is that make this an election issue. That's yes. how I like to frame it. Uh, yeah. Not necessarily to either vote for this party or vote for this party, but but what what you're implying, I think, is that the NDP might take this more seriously. Was there anything that happened as far as you know, or have you paid any attention to the track record of the Notley NDP from 2015 to 2019 that leads you to believe that they were taking this any more seriously? Um, not necessarily the methane issue, but certainly, you know, climate change and carbon emissions. And, um, they, they were, they passed a, a better, uh, carbon, uh, reduction plan than, than we've seen since. Um, uh, so, and, and let's be fair, the NDP, even under Notley, when I was a, a cub journalist in Canmore, I mean, I had so many conversations with her because she was the environmental critic and she was much more uh, she was much more um, critical of uh, the oil and gas industry and the forestry industry. 
um, back then. But but you know when you're you're running when when the party event uh, ended up you know getting close to winning, she uh, became more centrist than leftist, and that's just I guess what what you're you're going to find in a in a in a province where oil and gas is the primary driver of the, the economy. Um, but yeah, I mean I I I. I I, I don't want to explicitly tell people who to vote for, but but my my concern and the reason I still write about Alberta from uh, Montana is because that's my home, and uh, love it, uh, like it or not, um, that's my home, and my worry is that we're we're not paying attention to the near future. And we're only focusing on the moment. And my worry is that Alberta is going to not be prepared for when oil demand decreases and everything becomes electrified because we will do something about climate change, whether it's um, whether we're actually going to meet our uh, goals for 2025, 2035, eventually it's going to get so bad that we're not going to be um, burning fossil fuels. And if Alberta doesn't position itself in such a way um, to transition to that new reality, we're going to end up like uh, the United Kingdom after Brexit. Uh, this one, the once ruling empire of the globe is a, a, sh- a shadow of a shadow of its former self. And it is going through so many economic and social issues because the right-wing conservatives um, duped the people into voting to leave the EU. And it is having calamitous uh, impacts on working-class people especially. So uh, that's why I do what I do. I care care about the future of Alberta. Uh, I don't like being critical all the time. But but them's the facts, and uh, I just hope um, more and more people will begin to realize that we can have an affluent economy and and be ethical, truly ethical and environmentally uh, progressive, uh, all at the same time. Uh, but that's going to re- require us to um, not be afraid and uh, not not. not to not be afraid of of embracing the changes that are coming and preparing for them exactly uh jeff it's it's, it's pretty rare that a, a, an interview on this show we we love doing deep dives we, we like really sinking our teeth into something but but it's pretty rare that we'll talk to somebody for almost an hour as we have with you but um i was hoping to do exactly that and to really get into this piece to help us better understand methane to understand some of the the the, the pros and the cons of the scenario right now and and and, yeah. and and to try to answer that question of why is this not being taken more seriously i appreciate everything that you've brought to the table um and, and thanks for sticking around longer than we asked you to stick around uh that that's not lost on us uh it's been that's a real, all right man it's, it's been a pleasure I'm, chatting I'm happy with you. to be here and uh and appreciate what all that you do to to uh you know not just methane or carbon issues but but all the stuff you you talk about and broadcast to a wider 
uh, audience. I watch your stuff. You have amazing guests and mm. uh, you're, you're doing your part to make the world a better place. Thank wow. you. Wow. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Uh, next time you're in Edmonton, uh, we got a humidor actually right here in the studio. So if you, okay. you, yeah. So if you're up for a dram and a smoke, you let me know and, and we'd be happy to hook you up. Sounds awesome. Okay, my man. Uh, that's Bye-bye. Jeff Galis. Uh, you can read his uh, piece, Hidden Harm, in the uh, summer issue. This is the July, August issue of Alberta Views magazine. And, and wanted to remind you one more time, uh, if you go to albertaviews.ca right now and subscribe, use the promo code AVRJ. Like Alberta Views, Ryan Jesperson, AVRJ. It's going to knock down the price of a one-year subscription. That's 10 issues by 50%. It means you're going to pay 20 bucks for 10 issues of Alberta Views delivered to your door. Appreciate that, the passion there. Hey, he says, that's my home. I care about it. I, I saw the chat. The chat was banging this morning. It's mm-hmm. awesome. But I saw somebody uh, make the comment that said, oh, he hates conservatives. And, uh, and I, and I kind of thought, I mean, uh, people can vote whatever they want. People can feel whichever way they want. But I think that, you know, you'd, you'd have to sort of, you know, really sell yourself on the idea. You'd have to work hard to convince yourself after reading his piece, which you can online, Hidden Harm, you can read the article that, that, that this is being written because of some sort of political bias. Um, he's talking about the environment. He's talking about industry. He's talking talking about the facts he's talking about satellite monitoring i don't i don't understand how it kind of reminded me i'm going to go out in left field here for a second uh but i promise i'll bring it back or at least i'll try to okay uh but i remember in my previous job on terrestrial radio uh we we were having and they're difficult conversations um when spotlight that movie came out i think it was the boston globe reporters Mm -hmm. that really blew the doors off the the sex scandal the abuse scandal that has plagued the catholic church around the world uh for more than a hundred years Mm -hmm. and i don't think that anybody would would not understand what we're talking about here but but it was very timely at that moment um including uh in the province of alberta where there had been revelations made and survivors had come forward and some of these stories were being told and and there was evidence of cover-ups of priests being reassigned to different parishes to different cities to different communities uh when the bishops or the cardinals knew that they were abusers, mm-hmm. knew what they were up to, and they had they had not reported them to police, and they had tried to keep it covered up and in-house, and, and they were allowing these individuals, most of them men, to continue this abuse uh, on, on these innocent children, and, and they knew what was going to happen here, and it, was, it's, it is, not was, it is disgraceful and deplorable, and so mm-hmm. we're talking about this, and we're bringing guests on. We had someone from one of the archdioceses that came on the show to talk about it, which I appreciated, and I remember... Some of the, the chat at that time on our on our text line, people were saying, you know, why why do you have this axe to grind with the Catholic Church? Why do you hate believers? Why do you hate Catholics? Why do you, and I'm sitting there going, the people that should be most upset about this are the Catholics. Hundred <laughs> percent. The people. This is not. This is not a shot at your faith. This yeah. is not a shot at your God. This is an indictment. This is the facts and an indictment that your institution is poisoned. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's the same thing here. I mean, if somebody is calling your chosen parties, politicians, or elected representatives to the carpet Mm -hmm. because they're not doing the job that they have been entrusted to do, the people that should be most upset about this are the people that have put their faith in that party, in that institution, in those elected officials. It's like Adler said, like the the right needs to, you know, be louder. Speak up. Call people out. I mean, it's not looking good here with the regulator and the Alberta government looking like they're in cahoots. I mean, how he just said that France had to ring the alarm bells 
on yeah. that big methane leak. Like yeah. that, like that's just that shouldn't uh, be happening. That's embarrassing. It is when you he know? when he was talking about it. I was like, this is just. And and so the right and conservatives should stand up and say, hey, we want better people. Hundred percent. Don't you we want? want if you're if you're a if you're a an ardent conservative, if you're a proud conservative, don't you want your party? Mm-hmm. Don't you want your premier, your senior cabinet ministers to be seen uh, as trustworthy, as honest, as diligent, as competent? Don't you want that? Mm-hmm. Don't you want to change people's minds? That's what we asked Mike Lake about on Tuesday, the conservative MP, when he joined me in studio. How does the party win in writings where it's not currently holding seats? Well, mm-hmm. you got to change people's minds. you got to impress people. Mm-hmm. you got to prove to people that you're the better alternative to form government. And I love how Jeff said, like, this is all going to blow up in your face when we don't have time to to rectify all the things that are going to start happening to the planet. It's already happening. The rise in temperature, everything like and when it all blows up, nobody wants to be the one who says, I told you so, because we're all going to be. You know what our tendency as humans is, though? (laughs) Our tendency as humans is that, yeah, 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 something is going to happen down the road, but it's not happening yet. Mm hmm. Right. It's why we all rack up credit cards. Right. Because we want the now here and now and we're not worried about the later. Mm -hmm. So everybody knows, you know, whether and and, and global demand for oil is high right now. I mean, you know, Jeff writes about this in his piece. I wonder if I can find it on the fly here as we're talking. But, you know, you know, one one of the issues I think that that some real talkers took with what MP Lake had to say on Tuesday, where he basically says that, you know, the feds are are trying to uh, slow down and kill the oil industry. And people are saying the oil industry is doing more now uh, than it ever has done capacity wise. Business is booming, Mm -hmm. which is great. It's great. Demand on is one up. front, demand is up. That's great. And it's projected to go further up. But it's not going to last forever. And no. so how do you balance those priorities? Obviously, you know, cashing in on what you can now, but also setting yourself up for success in the future. Here are the numbers I was talking about uh, per Jeff's piece in Alberta Views. Um, you know, in the context of whether or not Alberta's uh, industry is on track to meet its 45% methane reduction target by 2025, coming up a couple of years from now, oil production over the last decade has in increased by 58%, gas production increased by 21%. Mm-hmm. That's huge. That's great if you work in oil and gas or if you're a shareholder, mm-hmm. you know. But well, again, what's it going to look like 50 years from now and will Alberta still be the the have province uh, driving the Canadian economy like it is right now? Well, it's easy math. More people, more cars, more heat needed, mm. more gas, natural gas, more oil production needed. But at some point, we're going to hit peak production. Mm. At some point, I mean, according to scientists, like we're, we're going to run out, right? And it may not be you or me sitting here when it happens, but it's going to be our kids or our kids' kids. And, mm. and they're going to be like, what were you guys doing the whole time? Well, we knew it was coming. We just didn't think it was going to come that fast. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel on our live chat says, that's humans. You know, we're reactive. We're not proactive for the most part. Don says, no, no, no. I'm going to tell you, told you so, says Don. When we've invested trillions and taxed trillions and the temperature is still up that degree and a half, uh, says Ooh. Don, we can't regulate the sun. I don't know, Don. That kind of sounds a little bit defeatist, doesn't it? That we can't do anything about it, so we should just kind of take it? I don't know. There's a lot of, uh, <laughs> Don also said, for somebody that doesn't smoke cigars anymore, Jeff, sure sounded excited at the end there. That is fair. I'm not trying to get him back on cigars if he quit, 
but we do love entertaining here in the Real Talk studio. Coming up in just a second, Johnny's got an update on like, uh, and we're going to be talking about this on our Friday roundtable tomorrow. I'm super excited about it. But are two of the world's richest humans seriously going to brawl? Like, I hope Like so. actually physically fight? Yeah. Uh, Johnny has an update on the Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk MMA fight that may or may not happen in just a second. <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, but first, but first, how can we talk about the bright future of the Alberta economy, including energy generation, without mentioning our good friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. Uh, if you happen to live in our home city of Edmonton, wanted to let you know there's some really good news for you. The city of Edmonton's helping Edmontonians install solar systems on their homes uh, by offering a, a 40 cent per watt uh, toward the cost of the system. It's kind of a, a subsidy, basically, which covers like 15% of the cost of going solar. Uh, and rebate stacking uh, is actually permitted with the Canada Greener Homes Grant Program, which we've told you about before. You can read more about it on the blog link at kubienergy.ca. Up to a maximum of 100% of the total investment made by the homeowner. So basically, this is great news. If you're thinking of going green, uh, you can trust Team Kubi. And if you're watching on YouTube right now, you can see these are some photos. We've just got these of their brand new HQ. Kubi's opened a beautiful new office in Edmonton, and uh, they're opening one in Calgary as well. Kudos to them. And they're hiring. So uh, you're going, what, what, did you guys sneak in a photo of beer taps there? That, that is at the Kubi HQ. Friday ball hockey tournaments, cold beer on tap, nothing like working for Kubi. If you are have your ticket, uh, if you're a, a journeyman or you're an apprentice and you'd love to... I don't know, work in an area that has a really bright future. Today's the day to go check out employment opportunities at kubienergy.com. Apex Automation also hiring. If you're a professional engineer, I imagine that there's a lot of engineers that are probably going to be tuning into this episode considering the subject matter, what we're talking about. You don't have to tell you that there's a lot going on in Alberta, B.C. and Saskatchewan involving automation, and nobody is doing more on this front than our friends at Apex Automation. They're growing their team, which means this could be a great opportunity for you. They're looking for the best and brightest in Canada. The folks that are either experienced in engineering, fabrication, and automation, or those that would like to be. You can get the ball rolling today by checking out the careers link. Maybe you're a recent graduate from an engineering school here in Western Canada. You'll find all the details online at apexautomation.ca. This studio that we operate out of every single day is built uh, magnificently, if you ask me, by the team at Complete Care Restoration. One of the things they had to do right out of the gates was source out a water leak that had been a problem here for a long time. Of course, considering all the electronics we were bringing in, we needed them to fix this. It was amazing to see them source out the problem and then do work to ensure it was not going to happen again. They're the pros. This is what they do. Uh, yeah, they do a lot of construction and renovation projects. This time of year, unfortunately, for homeowners, fire and flood damage is, is very relevant. It's a real thing. And this means that this is one of the busiest times of year. For the team at Complete Care Restoration, we saw firsthand how much they give a rip, how much they care about what they do. If you find yourself in one of those tough circumstances, impacted by fire or flood, make your first call, Complete Care Restoration. You can check them out online at Complete Care Restoration. And a lot of talk about Alberta's oil sands this week, of course, from both sides of the political aisle and uh, from civilian perspectives as well. 
You know that oil sands operations contribute significant carbon emissions in Canada. So the six largest companies are working together and with governments. We've heard more details on that this week on the show to take strides on the path to net zero from their operations. Part of this plan includes developing a proposed carbon capture and storage network by 2030. It's going to be one of the world's largest. You can learn more by checking out pathwaysalliance.ca. So I figured that this had to be a joke, but it looks like... I think we all did. (laughs) Elon Musk, I can't understand. I mean, I understand what you have to gain if you win a fight like this, but if you lose a fight like this as an egomaniac, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you ever recover. Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg, Johnny, are they actually going to physically fight? Well, I was under the impression this was a joke or or just two guys who are mad because, you know, Threads is versus Twitter now and uh, they're both... Like you said, they're both... They're not millionaires. They're billionaires. So... A fight? I don't think you're not in it for the money. But anyways, Forbes now reporting that we could be actually getting close to a fight between the two. And I'll give you a timeline of how it happened. So a couple weeks ago, the idea of a cage match was first posted by Musk over Twitter, where he responded to a thread about Instagram's then upcoming rival app threads. Everyone's on it now, obviously. Uh, He said, I'm up for a cage match. If he is and Zuckerberg responded the next day with an Instagram story showing a screenshot of Musk's tweet and he just responded, send me location, which is a (laughs) it's a big call out uh, on Twitter that people put out. Anyways, uh, later, uh, the hype picked up for this because actually Dana White had this shirt made, which uh, showed uh, basically promotion for the fight. Zuckerberg versus Musk. So he threw this up and people were like, wait a minute, is is Dana actually in to have this fight? And then quoted in a July 1st story from The New Yorker, uh, it said that he was overheard saying he would help organize an exhibition match between the two CEOs. And then what happens the next week? We see Musk right here. If you're watching on YouTube, training. He's starting to train because... (laughs) He's hanging out with George St. Pierre yes. and other uh, incredible uh, MMA fighters. He's actually training. And then the next day, what is uh, what is Zuckerberg post? Oh, I'm training MMA as well. Oh, geez. Here he is with uh, some serious uh, UFC champions. Israel, uh, I hope I pronounced this right, Adesanya and Alexander Volonovsky. And so after this, we started seeing pictures of them because these were just photos we thought were, were for like clout. Like, here's me hanging out with a couple yeah, yeah. dudes. No, look, here's them actually grappling, actually learning moves. And uh, oh, so now geez. we're thinking that uh, <laughs> if this happens, uh, it will be a UFC event. But hey, it's not in the books for sure. But here's the thing. Betters are already getting in on this. And that's what usually makes a fight go through is when betters like DraftKings, who have already set odds for the fight. Well, who's favored? Favored is Zuckerberg. Yeah, he's because he's in he's, better he's shape. A, he's younger. Well, he, apparently he's like a he's somewhat of an experienced. I think it's jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you say? Practitioner. You yeah, know, he's someone that's that's like it's not just uh, a hobby for him. This is something that he's taken seriously for quite some time. So near f- constant physical activity is what DraftKings says. The, so they've got him as the favorite, and uh, Musk at a <laughs> basically if you put a hundred bet hundred bucks on Zuckerberg, you're going to win back at one sixty. If you put a hundred bucks on uh, Musk, uh, you're going to win back one thirty. But th- this could actually happen. <laughs> but but what it what would it's be? Not gonna it's happen. just bragging rights, right? I just, I, I, for me, it's like, 
you have to ask, what does somebody have to gain? What, what is it they say? It was like the cost-benefit analysis or whatever. Like, what, what does someone have to gain versus what do they have to lose? And I just think if you're someone like Elon Musk, you know, taking the loss, like if, if Zuckerberg punches him between <laughs> the eyes and breaks his nose and he goes down and he's sitting there, like, I just don't know that you ever... I don't know why I'm thinking of Joe Exotic right now. I will never financially recover from this. But now, I don't know if your reputation ever recovers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now that we have talked about this, we are kind of joking because we, we, like you said, I think we pretty much know this This won't happen for sure. But we are going to be talking a lot about both those guys tomorrow on, yeah. our, on our roundtable. That's right. We're looking forward to it. Uh, that is coming up on tomorrow's show. It's our Friday roundtable. As you know, it's our weekly tradition, and we're going to be welcoming in some, some social media experts, but they're also just just hilarious people as we take a look at some of the headlines and the news of the day. So you can catch that right here on Friday's episode of Real Talk. I want to thank everybody for tuning in uh, today and let you know again, when it comes to how these episodes land with you, we appreciate when you tell people in your orbit about the show, when you share the content, when you share the episode, when you review it. Maybe give us five stars on your favorite podcast provider. Whatever it is, let's grow this audience so these messages, these important conversations are getting out there and making an impact. Thanks. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General Manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account Coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepard. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.